SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AACD edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good because I found out. I'll tell you why. I, I don't think out, you were ready for me. I don't think you were ready for the question. <laughs> never, am. I never am. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm already I, off to a great start here. I've been on the waiting list for a puppy for about six months with a breeder. Oh my god! I heard back today. Finally, that you're getting it. Yeah. So what I'm, kind of dog? I don't even a, want to ask. A Samoyed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Big fluffy white. That, or not big. No, I know what they are. I'm just, I, I, part of me is like, I'm really glad you didn't say it was some small, you know, dog that you were getting with your girlfriend. Cause like she wanted it. So that part of me is relieved, but the other part of me is like, really, it's a very particular, like fussy breed. They're That's awesome, the but they're like, part- not fussy. Yeah, I mean, like I, I mean, they're don't get me wrong, but that's what right. That's what I mean. Like, yes, they are sassy. They're very like particular. They're great. That's I would not. I feel like everyone listening would not have pegged you for that breed of dog. Like, that's not what, what I would have guessed. Do you think I am right now? I would have thought honestly, like you strike me as a like a chocolate lab guy, like a lab. Uh, I could see that. My mom yeah. had a golden retriever. I grew up with okay. a golden. Like retriever. everybody's mom has a golden retriever. My yeah, mom well, also. Yeah, I'm a very all-American dog. You know? Uh-huh. I don't know. Yep. Some ways have, like, just a bit of personality, and they're always smiling. Yeah. Uh, so those are things I like about them. I just never thought I'd hear those words come out of your mouth. That's wild. Okay. I mean, what's What your... kind of dog breed do you think I would have? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're out yeah. in California, so it's got to be like a Shih Tzu or something, right? No. Ew, uh, come on. <laughs> no, no, you don't actually seem like that type of person. I uh, love big dogs. I will say that. I can see a Great Dane for you. if you're. Going. Yeah, that was the last dog I had was a, we didn't know. We got it from the shelter and we thought it was like Black Lab mix, some sort of, you know, mix thing. It turns out it was mostly Great Dane and it, yeah. we got it as a four month old puppy shot up to 120 pounds. Those things. But it was the sweetest dog. Like they're so um, empathetic and like they're, they're smart. They're very needy. I will say that that's kind of the one downside, but anyways. A lot of dogs are needy. Yeah. They're, so that's why they're better than cats. That's well, that's, what I but say. that's the line between cat people and dog people is uh-huh. whether or not you want a pet that wants to be with you or one who just happens to be in the I, area. Or if you just want to like have a normal, like happy life, then you're a dog person. Like if you yeah, want to hate yourself sure. and like have your cat suck your soul out while you're sleeping, then yeah. That, that's... House smell like glitter box, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate cats. I've got... Anyways. Cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's our that's our animal tangent. We should start a little animal corner, like that, yeah. a little like just a corner of the podcast well, for animals. Once I have this dog, instead of I'm just told should be soon. Yeah, uh, we could have updates. Yeah, absolutely. Update sessions. Um, I would like to share some news before we get into our body of the podcast today, which is the final two teams we have left to preview, which are Dan Temple and USF. 
Yes. And we were really excited because we managed to wrangle both coaches into doing the podcast. Uh, we did, we are going to talk with Sam Drayton. So that'll be in a, in a few minutes, but the Jeff Scott interview is lost and pushed it's been postponed so we will not have just got on this episode of the podcast but hopefully on maybe the next one or the one after that where we'll get his thoughts um i really yeah. just want to talk to him about how much i think he's going to beat byu like i could just do the whole podcast on that'll, that that'll be conversation fun yeah. i've got thoughts about oh, um yeah. no, they'll be interesting uh mm-hmm. Definitely to talk to Jeff Scott, get his perspective on where the program is going into year three. Yeah. We'll get that in soon because it's hard to get coaches once the season actually. I know. Well, they promise, so we'll see. But we do get to talk to Stan Drayton, which is awesome because he is literally Absolutely. one of the most positive people, I think, ever. And every time I talk to him, I feel like I look I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, I can do everything because he's just – he's such like a good just coach, like a good person. So I'm excited yeah. for you guys and to hear this. this- we're, I'm jumping the gun a little bit on Stan Drake, mm-hmm. but I think a really interesting thing about him is that he made that jump from running backs coach to head coach that a lot of people mm-hmm. were kind of like, well, he's never really an OC. Neither was like Sam Pittman, and he's pretty well respected almost immediately at Arkansas. Yeah. You know, same kind of deal. Pedigree isn't everything, you know? If there's a body of work on Stan Drayton, we're talking Bijan Robinson, Ezekiel mm-hmm. Owen, Carlos mm-hmm. I think Brian Westbrook at Villanova. Like it's a long history. Yeah. He has fostered some very impressive careers in at the college level and excited to talk to him about the direction he has Temple going. But before we get into the previews, we always do a little bit of news. Uh, Dan came up with nothing. So thanks for that, Dan. But that's fine. Your dog news was good enough. All right. Well, we'll actually, take you know what? I take it back. I've got a piece of news. UCF selling beer at the state. I was say that i just didn't think it was that hit that hit twitter hard today like people everywhere had opinions i just tweeted it like because i got the info from them and i was like oh i want to see what kind of alcohol so like i tweeted out a few tidbits that they're gonna have like alcoholic boozy popsicles and like they're gonna have different like beer tasting flights which i think is cool so yeah we've both been to uh the bounce house in september Mm -hmm. at this point Mm -hmm. uh the boozy popsicles are a must. <laughs> Sounds good. It, Sounds really good. It's hot there. I didn't think you could make the experience there better, but they somehow still keep upping the game. So good for the Knights. That's going to be a blackout S show every time now. Yeah, blackout so. with the blackout uniforms. Yeah, there you go. Which, um, but it, in other news, um, and this isn't AAC per se, But the UC Regents meant today. I don't know if you've been following the Pac-12 saga that's going on with UCLA and USC leaving, but the governing body of the California State, you know, colleges, it's called the UC, University of California, UC Regents Board. And they were basically appointed to govern like all of the UCLA, Cal, UC Irvine, you know, UC Davis, all the UC schools. And they met today because obviously there's been Gavin Newsom is just up in arms about the fact that, you know, these two schools are leaving the PAC 12 and not, and I understand, I can't stand Gavin Newsom, but I understand the anger because they are leaving the conference in a lurch. They're taking away a huge chunk of money from, you know, media views. I saw uh, something about how much USC is worth apparently. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bit. And 
I think it's 13 million in media rights they're going to be losing. It's just some outrageous number. So I understand. And I'm also upset about this because this is a conference I started my career in. I, you know, yeah. yeah, I grew up going there. So, you know, it's it is hard to watch. But I think today was an interesting turning point because we saw that we saw the, the regions basically propose that they want to be able to govern UC athletic departments. So basically like if this were to happen again, they're trying to like propose a, a law or whatever it is um, that says that that presidents and athletic directors have to go to the board before they do this stuff. And then they will then decide if there needs to be like a meeting or approval, which I, no. I think is really interesting. I right. Just well, I mean, but you have to think of it this way. Like they were appointed the board of these schools for a reason. They're public universities. So you're you're thinking of like well, the whole state. Let's be clear. USC is not a public university. No, and USC is not part of this. UCLA. This is just about UCLA. Mm -hmm. yeah, just to be clear. This is just about UCLA. Yeah, yeah. No, USC is not. This is really they're... about UCLA screwing mm -hmm. Berkeley over. It's not really about. I mean, Stanford. and the Pac-12 in general, both of them screwing the Pac-12, but UCLA. And Cal leaving... Berkeley's the California system school. That's what. Right. Arizona State's getting screwed too, but they're not. Right. Cal. That's all. I'm saying. I, I mean, and the whole conference is getting screwed by this. But anyway, so it was interesting. They 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 basically proposed this thing, and then they put the like the action on the president. So they basically were like, we have the ability to do something about it, but we're going to leave this up to the president of the regent board and he will make decision on it. So I think it was interesting because John Wilner tweeted out that if there was a world in which UCLA was not going to go or not be allowed to go, which I have been saying from the beginning that I still don't believe this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And he said, if there was a world that that was, this would be the first step into making yeah. that happened UCLA not going so that being said if you're interested in drama and you like reality tv I would definitely follow this uh news about the regions and follow the, the saga because it's crazy I have a couple it's questions crazy. for you I suppose okay just based on, no just based on this mm -hmm. how much value does UCLA actually pose for the big 10 because USC is the bigger football brand and they're both mm -hmm. LA. So it's not like you're not getting the LA market already. I know there's a lot so, of there, but USC's move to the big 10 would represent an estimated loss of 9.8 million in media rights for each of the remaining PAC 12 campuses. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then UCLA's departure would lead to another loss. So on top of that, of roughly one third of that figure. So like three, 3.4. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not as much as USC, but not, not insignificant, right? I think, yeah. I think the thing that's being lost in this conversation where everyone's just kind of freaking out and taking sides, whatever, is about the athletes. So, and that's kind of what I care about the most is like the, the fact that UCLA and USC are, are moving to this Big Ten conference. That means it's going to add a 24-hour time difference to travel. So everything you travel now as a student athlete, add an extra day to every one of your trips that you have to make. And that's what you're going to be doing yeah. now. Yeah, no, that's really bad. It's for, insane. And particularly Olympic sport athletes, like say mm -hmm. volleyball or gymnastics, what have you. The uh, only people it won't affect football, men's basketball, women's really basketball, who, because they have charters. But that's really who it's being done for too. Right. 
But uh, that's what's so shitty about money. it. Oh, yeah, because that's where the money is. Uh, then my second question, mm -hmm. I guess, is say UCLA mm -hmm. is forced out of this by the government uh, and mm -hmm. the regions, whoever it, uh, it comes down to in California. Where does the Big Ten turn from there? Do they make a super hard push for Notre Dame rather than just kind of like being like, hey, what are you thinking? Or do they go and say, hey, Oregon, actually, we like you a lot. And you probably like us a lot better than the Pac-11 at that point. I've heard that they would make a pivot to Stanford because, um, hear me out, I know that, that because it's a, it's a private university, right? So you don't have to deal with any of the state stuff. And it would be a middle finger to the state of California for taking something away from them. Yeah. Stanford would also fit this kind of high-minded academic model that the Big Ten Yeah, have. I don't think they want them. I mean, the football but program the thing, is... I think of the Big Ten as big state schools. You know, I mean, I yeah. I don't know that. I don't know. But I mean, USC is is not that. So if if you were going to no. take a partner to no, USC, USC is different because of their history, and it's such a huge helmet. Like I sticker. mean, Stanford has a very long history as well as USC. Oh my god! I mean, maybe not as storied, but Stanford's got a long they have history a than Oregon, but doesn't have better modern history or investment. They have more money than Oregon. They definitely do, but they're not putting it into sports. That's but the, they could if they were if they were like governed to. correctly. Well, yeah, but anyways, these are all questions for another podcast. That because... actually, but sorry, you brought that up. Reminded me of another thing I saw. Pete Thamel report today. Mm -hmm. Pete Thamel, um, yeah. that there is talk, and it's super early preliminary, may lead to nothing, but there is talk about FBS football breaking away from the NCAA. I saw that. No longer being governed by them. No, it's way too early to know exactly what that means, who would govern them, what type of structure it would look like. But to be honest, it kind of makes sense to me. The NCAA doesn't do much these days as far as football is concerned. They yeah. occasionally try to sanction teams and, and that never seems to work. I mean, how long have they been trying to sanction Herman Arizona State? I mean, the Tennessee thing, they just let them know, hey, these are the things we're going to charge you with. And Tennessee's kind of like, do it. We dare you. You've got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. We, we want you to do it so much as that we don't have to pay Pruitt's buyout. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's just a thing of note to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, I saw that. Every FBS school. Um, yeah. So apparently I did have news. Yeah, there we go. I really should, seeing as I work news desk for everything. I mean, it's just you're so saturated with it. I'm sure it's hard to. There's not a lot of AAC specific news going on. PFN released their all team honors, which I thought was interesting, but it's more of the same that we have been talking yeah. about. So on three released all of its like preseason teams. Most okay. of it's it's pretty power five heavy, you know. Yeah. Um, check those out though, because that's you know. <laughs> They're paying my bills, so I'd love to make sure that people people head over that way when they're not looking for AAC news. Right there, you go. Um, well, let's yeah. talk Temple. Absolutely. Uh, so we kind of decided to bump Temple to this week and move UCF up next week because we thought Temple and USF to round off our previews made some sort of thematic sense. They're both mm -hmm. things I think most people look at and say. You know, some people might throw Navy in here, but most people can say, yeah, those are the bottom two teams in the conference. 
right. they need to rebuild. And I think there's also some similarities to them. You know, they're both in big cities, uh, obviously one northern one in Florida, uh, mm -hmm. but they're both playing in NFL stadiums, have had mm -hmm. historic issues with facilities. Uh, both have seen a decent amount of coaching turnover in the past five, ten years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just think that they're in some... It, yeah. And technically, Temple joined the Big East right before it dissolved to the American, but they thought they were going to the Big East. USF was one of the Big East teams. I think there's just a lot of similarities there, and I think it's interesting to look at where they're both at together and what they have to do to rebuild at the same time. And yeah, I guess be better positioned for the next round of realignment, be better positioned just to be, if maybe you're a school like Temple is the top of what you can possibly do, be like the 2016 team, but try to do that consistently. You know, I don't know, but I think it's an interesting kind of way to look at the two teams. Uh, Temple last year in 2021 went three and nine, one and seven in conference. It, they were not that good, though, if we're being honest. Um, they had a win over a bad Akron team. They beat Wagner from the FCS, and then they beat Memphis, which I thought was funny because Memphis, for some reason, loses to Temple basically every time they play. That includes that Cotton Bowl season for Memphis. Uh, they were their one. AC lost that year. Uh, they fired Rod Carey. Uh, after, it was his third season at Temple. Uh, it wasn't working out for a lot of reasons. Culture was disintegrating. I don't love the word culture, but it was, and the wins were not there on the field. Uh, they were 125th in total offense in 2021. That's not good. Anyways, <laughs> they hired Stan Drayden, a running backs coach for his entire career, which is like two or three decades long now. Uh, really probably the best running backs coach in FBS football for the last couple of decades, I'd mm -hmm. say. I think that's not unfair to say. Uh, and we were able to talk to Stan Drayden, uh, showed up for the show, and here's what he had to say about Temple football. The first thing, I mean, I wanted to, of course, ask you how fall camp is going. You guys are, you know, a couple of sessions in now, started on the third, I believe. So how is fall camp going for y'all? If I could just take a second, I'd like to, to um, first of all, give a, you know, congratulations to Art McNally, you know, who was just uh, inducted into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who's a, um, you know, the first official to be enshrined into that, to the Hall of Fame. And he's a, he's a Temple, Temple alum, Temple made guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're proud of him here. And I just want him to know that we, we recognize him here and, and, uh, and go owls in that respect. But, um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, we we um, you know we we were really excited about the start of camp, and you know you know how it is. You know, it's a new start. You know, um, there's a lot of anxiety that was out there. People were anxious, excited to get going, and <laughs> you know, uh, the players didn't know quite what to expect. And uh, so, you know, first practice was what I thought it would be. You know, guys just kind of emotionally charged up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of, you know, not cutting it loose, not knowing what to expect, you know, but, um, you know, had great energy, you know, um, they were excited to get back on the field. And, uh, you know, since then we've settled down and, you know, we've gotten into a routine and um, practices have been very physical, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, there, there were times where our players have practiced with great intent, intent with, you know, um, with good game awareness. And then there's times where they were just practicing plays, you, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the, uh, you know, the, 
the sign of where we need to grow as a football team is becoming more consistent. You know, you just don't want to go out there and practice plays. You want to go out there and be able to, you know, play the game within practice. And, you know, these are things that they, you know, a brand new program, we, we learn and we figure things out uh, together as we go. And we try to get ourselves, you know, to a point where we're consistently, you know, doing it in a way that's going to help us win ball games. So, you know, it's it's definitely a work in progress, but uh, it hasn't been a lack of energy. It hasn't been a lack of physicality. And uh, that that right there uh, will take us a long way this year. That's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that people have said around you coming to this program is that there's just been an injection of energy and life into the program and the players are really responding to that. Is that something, you know, you feel you brought to the program that the program needed and, and that's that's working well with the new culture and the new direction? Is that kind of energy? Oh, yeah. I think uh, myself and our coaching staff, we, we've all bought into the fact that, you know, when we talk in terms of achieving production, you, you have to have passion and energy behind that, you know, and um, I think our players just feel a, a breath of fresh air and, you know, um, that's not hard to, to press that button and get that out of our players. I mean, they, yeah. they, they do enjoy being around each other. They enjoy being out there, you know, on the football field and they love football. You know what I mean? So it's not something that was hard to turn up from the very beginning. Um, but this, you know, for them to understand where we're trying to go and the level of passion and the level of energy that we need to have out there about our business is, is definitely a premium. You know, it's, we, we have to focus in on that. And then there's times where we have to maintain a high energy level and still keep our emotions, you know, um, at even kill, never getting too high, never getting too low, and, and still have a high energy. And that's something that young players and, you know, uh, we as a coach staff have to teach our players, but uh, that's something that's learned along the way. And then I know I saw in some of the recaps that you would t- we had talked about not having they had talked about not having the Temple T on their helmet as that's something that you want them to earn as an honor throughout camp. How is that going? And do you believe that these guys are now starting to earn those things and understand like you know what goes into it and and getting to where the T is an honor? Yeah, you know. There, there's so much tradition here mm-hmm. uh, at Temple, and you know that's one of them. You know, I, 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 I didn't actually have that conversation with our players about earning the T. Okay. Uh, I, I, I kind of hoped that they knew that that was what they were doing. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, we're we're not going to put that T on their helmet until until we, you know, uh, are game ready. And um, you know, but you know, I think they there's so many traditions here that they're motivated by one being, you know, an opportunity to be a single digit, you know, uh, an an honor where, you know, the toughest, you know, most accountable uh, leader on the football team, you know, becomes an honoree under that that, uh, concept. And, you know, that's something that um, if they're trying to be a single digit, if they carry on the single digit mindset, the Temple Tough mindset, th- these are things that um, can propel a team, uh, a team to win a bunch of ball games and, and earn whatever 
accolades come along with that. But um, no, yeah, we're not going to put that T on there until we're game ready, and we'll talk about that at that time. But you know, we're really locked in on becoming uh, a Temple Tough football team with a single-digit mindset, and uh, that's that's what we're trying to ch- obtain right now. I know the offense and the run game is is your specialty, and we're very excited to see that shine through at Temple. But but some names that have come up um, and and popped up and have been doing well uh, through camp so far are in the cornerback game. So Jalen McMurray's name has come up, Elijah Clark. What do you think of this secondary and and how the defense is going to help you guys navigate this tough AAC conference? Well, the goal is to play complimentary football, Mm -hmm. you you know what I mean? And, um, you know, when you're trying to play complimentary football on offense, controlling the the play clock, I'm sorry, the the game clock, Mm -hmm. it's uh, critically important. The best way to do that, obviously, is to be able to be productive in the run game. You know, but then on defense, you know, having the ability to get off the field. You know what I mean? We absolutely want to have more game reps on offense than our defense plays game reps on, you know, during the course of the game. So uh, when you have people like Jalen McMurray and Elijah Darabell and, you know, Deshaun Winston and, Mm -hmm. you know, all all those guys that are in our secondary, um, when they have an opportunity to to take the ball away from offenses, that's going to give us those opportunities, you know, to play complimentary football. So, you know, at the end of the day, we, we you know, we, we, we got to figure out what's going to be the best formula for us to win, right? And yeah. I, I could sit there and say, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, you know, but um, if at any point that becomes, you know, unproductive, then we've got to find a way to do whatever it is we have to do to, to win that football game. So, um, but yeah, but the names that you've mentioned for sure are guys that are having really good camps and, and uh, they're starting to show some consistency within their production. That's awesome. Well, and it's also a quarterback heavy, you know, conference. So how do you feel Dewan Mathis is settling in and, and doing it at his play calling role there? He's doing well. You know, he's, he's, he's showing really good signs of, mm-hmm. of being a very productive quarterback for us this year. Um, but he's got some competition, you know. He's got Quincy, uh, who, who's in the fold. And, you know, we got Mariano, who mm-hmm. has really improved this fall camp. And, you know, our, I'll tell you what, our little true freshman in EJ, Warner, uh, <laughs> that, that kid knows a lot of football. He's very smart. He knows how to throw the ball with great timing. I mean, so it's, it's, that's been a position that I've enjoyed watching. Okay. You know, now uh, there's going to be times where, you know, they have to manage the game, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's an area where they all need to improve, just being situationally sound, um, you know, and uh, we're trying to put those, create those situations for them during the course of, you know, practice. But um, that is something that is going to be, you know, learned on, on the run. That, that'll continue to be learned as we grow through the season, you know, but, um, you know, uh, DeJuan has had a phenomenal camp, but uh, he's being pushed by all those guys in that room, which is which is really good to see. Do you think that is something that will continue into the season and the first game, or do you hope to have that, you know, position figured out by then, or do you, do you think the competition heading into the season is, is good for the position? No, I think we're better off if we can have a, a, a quarterback solidify mm-hmm. Part of going into the season, you know, um, that is definitely 
what we would like to have happened, you know, but, you know, it's, it's really on those guys. If, it, if it's not at that point, then we, we have to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, for us to go in there to, to perform on offense with the consistency and the camaraderie uh, that we need from that leader in that position, um, you know, it is, we're better off to have that solidified prior to the season. Um, but, um, you know, um, we, we forced their development on them, mm-hmm. all right? But uh, we can only force it to a point uh, to what they can handle, right? And yeah. we don't want to create any bad habits or, you know, disrupt any type of um, mental thought by those guys by uh, force-feeding them when they're not ready. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, we, we hope that somebody proves that they can handle the load uh, prior to camp. Sounds like a solid strategy. So I, I've got one more football question, and then I'm going to ask you, like, just kind of a fun, generic couple questions um, before we wrap it up. But I, I got to know, I'm a fullbacks girl. I know you're a running game guy. Is there any opportunity that we could see a fullback emerge on this Temple roster? I'll tell you what, you know, um, <laughs> the fullback is a is 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 almost a dinosaur nowadays. Oh, you know, no, that hurts my heart. <laughs> and mine too, mine too. I played behind a fullback as a, as a running back. And, okay, you know, but um, the way the way offenses have evolved, right. they've been real creative, um, and uh, the tight end position in particularly. Right, you know, being able to have that hybrid tight end a guy that's got some some um some skill set in the past game mm-hmm. you know um uh, may not be a a uh, a person that lines up next to an offensive tackle every play you mm-hmm. know due to some size limitations but a guy that you can motion into the backfield and give you some two back opportunity that way yeah and so we yeah we, we've definitely dibbled and dabbed in that and you know we feel like we have probably you know a, a few guys that can definitely play in that role and uh you know we'll be creative to get to some two back formations but to right. to sit there sit there and say that you know the the old school you know <laughs> you know the old school fullback yeah. position is, is back and alive in this offense I mean you know we, we have to find creative ways to get to that well when I see a six foot 250 you know tight end I'll know that's, that's right. when I'll that's know right. that's when I'll know that's he's exactly out there right. um, all right guys. Um, so let's do just kind of a fun question what is the one thing in fall camp that you can't live without now it could be like sunscreen you know your go-to visor your whistle, whatever. What is the thing that you can't live without during this fall camp? Uh, my little, my little prayer that I write on my script every day. I don't okay. think anybody notices it, but um, you know, I write me a little message that I that I normally pull from scripture every morning, and I, I put it on my on my um, on my little um, script that I carry out mm-hmm. there. I'm under the folder and. Uh, you know, when, when things get a little hectic out there, a little chaotic, a little out of control, I, I tend to to read that quote every single uh, opportunity that I can. It kind of keeps me even killed. So uh, every day I need that. Wow, that was that okay. That was a good one. I was not. That was a. I, I need to do some <laughs> introspection there. That was a good answer, and um, everybody should take note of that when things get crazy. Um, all right, well, I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get a fun one out of you. Let me see. Uh, what is your go-to after camp meal? Like your comfort, your favorite food that you would eat um, after camp? Well, you, you're gonna probably think I'm boring. But, uh... <laughs> You know, I'm 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 a, I'm a 
I'm a wannabe vegan. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm normally going to a salad. Okay. And uh, I tell you what, you know, coffee tends to be with every meal. Okay. You know, regardless of whatever time it is for me <laughs> nowadays. But, um, yeah, I'm a pretty uh, bland eater at this point, trying to trying to work on my core, All you know. Right. That's, so That's what's up. I'll tell you. <laughs> that's where it needs to be. I'm over here, that's you right. know, having pizza for uh, breakfast, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> what kind, like, do you, do you take your coffee black or do you drink it with cream and sugar? Straight black. Really? Jeez, that's a special kind of person. I've I've never been able to do it, but I I admire those who can. You know they've seen some stuff when you take your coffee black. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Coach, for for joining us this morning on the Underdog Dynasty podcast. We can't wait to see what Temple does this year. I've always been a huge Temple advocate, you know, and I feel like we're finally going to get to see what this program is all about with you at the helm. So we're excited to watch this season and hopefully we can talk to you throughout the year you guys are great i appreciate that thank you i love sandrine <laughs> we're about to say the same thing I think. yep I, that's the sentiment <laughs> I'm, I'm high on him i really am i think mm-hmm. he is a really good energy that he's bringing to temple i think the attitude and what that whole temple tough thing i think he understands mm-hmm. that and knows how to get them running downfield at you which is just so much better than what they have been doing the past couple of years. I'm excited to see. Yeah. Maybe I like, I tried to, I tried to trip him up with some fun questions at the end there, you know, but he is, it's not that he's not an, un, he's not an unfun guy. Like that's not the case at all. Cause he laughs. And when he laughs, it's infectious. Like, and I made him laugh, but he hit me with such like profound answers especially in that first one when I asked him you know what's the one thing you need to have at training camp and I was just you know I'm like like, oh yeah sunscreen or like your favorite visor like I'm thinking Gus Malzahn like visor or I'm thinking you know the jacket looked at some guys just something yeah but he hits you with the verse the bible verse that he gets and he puts on his like sheet that he has out there every day and he's like I don't think people notice it I was just like I didn't even know what to say when he said that I was like oh that's incredibly like insightful think, and mm-hmm. thoughtful <laughs> i think that's exactly i think he's a very thoughtful smart guy when you look yes. at i think that much is obvious uh at the same time i'd caution people expecting an immediate turnaround of course people, yeah people's reclamation project right now if you yeah. look at the roster it just is um mm-hmm. you know a lot a lot of roster turnover leaves the roster very young overall uh, yeah. Below the scholarship count, which hurts your depth and really can just negatively impact the team over the course of a season. Uh, but what do you think of Temple going into 2022? I think it'll be interesting. I'm, I think it'll, we'll see a lot more once we have the quarterback thing figured out. I mean, I tried to get out of him if it was going to be Duan Mathis and he's, you know, he, he's a typical coach. He's not going to tell us, but he did say that the, the guys were pushing him, that there is a competition, but he was very clear that this is going to be figured out before the season starts. Cause they want to have that kind of mm-hmm. continuity going in. They, they need that. They need consistency and stability in their program. So I'm assuming we're going to see Duan Mathis um, step in there and be that guy as a leader. That's what it sounds like. I'm really excited for the defense. And that's what he and I were talking about. Cause I know he's a running backs guy and, we can talk. I, I tried to talk him into having a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I tried to talk him into having a fullback, but um, you know, he we'll see. No well, bites really, but but maybe. Yeah, but maybe, but um, I was very interested in their defense because they're young, but he said that they've been very technically sound. Like these guys that have come in, um, whether they're transfers or they're young guys, they're very technically sound. So the tackling is tight. Uh, the turnovers that they're forcing are very tight. So I think we're going to see Temple, yes, not maybe win a whole bunch of games, but I think they're going to cause some problems for some teams early on that maybe don't have things figured out. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because if you look very roughly at the issue of Temple last year, you just look at points scored versus points allowed is the easiest way to mm-hmm. look at it for me. And they scored 14 or less points in all nine of their losses. Mm-hmm. They weren't losing shootouts. They weren't losing close games. They were getting blown out because they allowed 30 plus points in 10 different games last season. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, it's bad. It's really just <laughs> not. They the, couldn't get anything going. I mean, that was just yeah, the story of the season. It was both sides of the ball. But what you just said about them being technically sound, did you mm-hmm. know that their secondary was fifth in passing yards allowed last year? Fifth in the country. The fifth I did not know that. In terms of passing yards allowed. Wow. Um, one thing they had did was they had no pressure, 114th in sacks. So they did that when quarterbacks had time to throw, but they also weren't gaining interceptions at 109th in INTs. So there's no havoc being caused by the defense whatsoever, but at least in the passing mm-hmm. game, they're very technically sound. At taking away options and making plays, uh, when I say making, right. I mean making tackles, so guys weren't right. getting extra yardage on the catch. At the same time, they were 121st in rush defense, so teams didn't really have to throw anyways, which is the problem. You, which is the problem. There was no pass rush. There was no rush defense. They were very soft up the middle. Teams didn't have to throw on them, and they weren't yeah. forcing turnovers, and it just. It just got bad, you know. Uh, I think the bigger, but I think the defense, there's a lot to be hopeful for, I guess. Yeah. It's young. They do a lot of things right. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to let up plays. You know, I look at a guy like Jordan McGee or Kobe Wilson on the front seven. Both those guys, I think if they can step up, this team has a chance to be a solid defense. I don't think it'd go beyond that, though, this year. Just yeah. Yeah. But they're always going to be in bad position if the defense needs to be perfect. And that's kind of the problem last year is the defense needed to be perfect because the offense was so yeah. And part yeah. of that's Juan Mathis has never, whether it was at Georgia or now at Temple, has not come close to the billing he originally got as a recruit. And if he is going to be the guy this year, he needs to show some kind of improvement or why would we believe that Temple will be anything other than mediocre on offense? If you don't have a quarterback, you're never going to be more than It's just the reality. And well, I think it's... This was not a good quarterback. No, and, but I don't think that was his fault. And so I think we're going to see a different version of him that emerges this year. But, I mean, Coach was very high on Quincy Patterson as well. So there are other options. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think Patterson's going to start. Maybe not week one, but... Maybe. I, but I don't know. By conference play, I think he's going to at least get game playing time. But that's my point is that there's there's enough talent there that, you know, I think someone will get in there and get in a groove and get them going. Like we said, they're not going to be winning games left and right. And, you know, we should let's take a look at their schedule. But I think they're going to do better than people are going to, like, give them credit for. I think they need I think they need to lean on the running game on offense and try to 
establish that attitude that we talked about, Temple. Again, the Temple mm -hmm. Cup attitude. Whether you believe in that kind of mantra or not, I think that's what they need to do. Is they need to say, on offense, we're going to be physical, we're going to run the ball, and we're going to have an attitude and just try to make it easier for whoever the quarterback ends up being to hit a couple big plays, find a guy like Jaden Blue, and just open the field up a little bit. But I think you just can't be reliant on your quarterback if you're Temple. I think that's mm -hmm. a recipe for that's a recipe for failure. You want to look at the schedule because I actually think it's a pretty favor favorable. Uh, yeah, outcome. let's do it real quick and then we'll go on. Yeah, so they start their season at Duke, uh, then they host Lafayette, Rutgers, and UMass in a row. In a row, uh, then they travel to Memphis, take a bye week before traveling to UCF, uh, host Tulsa, then they travel to Navy before hosting USF, traveling to Houston, playing Cincinnati at home. In ECU at home to end the season. Yeah. And first off, I think start with those four-hour conference games, right? Yeah. Duke is going through a coaching change, and other than maybe Kansas, I don't know that there's an, uh, a Power 5 program with less talent. Um, <laughs> to, be, to be honest with you, they're just not. Vanderbilt? No, Vanderbilt still gets, like, high, like, technically SEC players. I like Clark I mean, Lee, so I'm not gonna... I like you said technically. <laughs> That's uh, funny. But no, Duke, Duke's got like that weird pseudo academic thing that they do. They don't really care about football the way they care about basketball. Uh, and they're in the ACC and kind of forgotten about. So no, they, I'd say Vanderbilt has a more talented roster. I don't know that Vanderbilt's. I don't know. It's tough to say because Mike Elko's taken over there, so it's a whole new thing. Uh, but it'll yeah. be interesting. I think. No, you're catching a team in transition, but you're also mm -hmm. a team in transition. So it's just it's yeah. one matchup to me because I have no idea what to expect for that very reason. Uh, Lafayette, I love me some Patriot League football. Beat Lafayette. Just, mm -hmm. just do that. Uh, I hope they beat Rutgers because I hate Rutgers. Rutgers curb stomped them last season, though. Like, absolutely destroyed them. It was like 66-14 or something like that. Whatever. And Rutgers, I don't care. For, I don't have any opinion on Rutgers, if we're being honest. I know you. At least it's home. Yep. It, you don't have to travel. Yeah, which is nice. Um, but yeah, Rutgers is a Big Ten team with technically rising talent again. They're, technically. They're, they're not the top of the Big Ten by any means, but no. they're better than they were a few years ago at the same time. Uh, UMass, that's another team in transition to a new head coach. Uh, I'll admit it, you should beat UMass if you're Temple. If you don't beat UMass, it's going to take a longer time to turn this thing around, I think, than we expect. As UMass, yeah. is even, UMass is an even bigger reclamation project. And as much as I'd love to go on a rant about my alma mater, I can't. Not right now. Not right now. Uh, yeah, then you get into conference play with a Memphis team who's tough to play on the road, but you've given hell in recent years. Who knows? Uh, you know, UCF's going to be real tough. That's the space game. Tulsa's going to be tough. At Navy is never fun, but who knows exactly what Navy looks like. Yeah. You get USF at home. <clears throat> that makes it a more winnable game, in my opinion. It's a game that you lost pretty close, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Uh, I think that's – we'll talk about USF in a minute. I think USF's definitely the better of the two teams. Yeah. But, you know – there's a reason we're talking about these two teams as both being the rebuilding teams together. 
Yeah, exactly. Then tough three-game stretch in the year at Houston, then hosting Cincy and ECU. So I don't know. Probably not more than one conference win if you're going to get it. I think you should win at least two out-of-conference games. Hold steady probably around that same three and nine, four and eight mark. Yeah, that would be be nice. But what's more important to me than their record at Temple this year is how they look in the games. Don't lose games by 30 points this year, and I think it's a market improvement. I don't think they will. I don't think we're going to see 30-point margins by any means. That's what last year was like is my point, though. No, I know. I, 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 what I'm saying is I don't think we – I very firmly believe that while it won't be an overnight difference that we're going to see – I mean, yeah, we will see a very different Temple team. I will say that. But, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate into wins right away. But yeah. who knows? Maybe they'll have, like, a Mighty Ducks season success and they'll just, like, beat all these people – That'd be fun. Before we move on from Temple, what do you mm-hmm. think is the long-term ceiling as a program? Oh my god, I don't know. I know that's like a big question. I kind that of that is like I don't know, but I don't know, man. That would have been a question for Coach Drayton, I suppose. Well, yeah, I would have loved to, but you know, technical issues kept me away for that one. Um, no, I. I think Temple is an interesting program, though, because they're in a really good fertile recruiting area, but they're mm-hmm. now kind of, at least in the American Athletic Conference, isolated geographically with what the yeah. conference shifted to. Uh, they don't have an on-campus stadium. and they, they need their own stadium. That was my biggest point. It was like, they need that. They absolutely do. And they had plans that they tried to get through, but they just, the city of Philadelphia wants nothing to do with a good Temple football team. Right. There's just not enough within the administration at Temple that really wants to fight it, to fight the good fight there, I feel like, right now. This is why I think Sandrine is the perfect job, perfect vibe for this job to get all these things done. Because this guy is out here eating salad, drinking black coffee, writing Bible verses in his daily, like, notebook. He's, like, he's going to get things done. Like, that's who he is. I hope so, because I don't know how many more games of Temple football I can watch with a faded Eagles logo at midfield. No, I think he's going to be the guy that people buy into. On-campus stadiums matter just so much. Mm -hmm. And as we switch over to talking about USF now, that's one thing I wanted to talk about that I've really appreciated about what Jeff Scott's done there. I think Jeff Scott's done the things you need to do to build a program. I think... I know people don't like when I do a juxtaposition of USF and UCF because I went to UCF and mm-hmm. I root for UCF. I've never hidden that at all or even tried to. Uh, but I think it's fair seeing as they're kind of, you know, very similarly structured schools in a similar, in the same region of the country as each other. And USF started off in a bigger pr- conference and then just stayed steady and said, we're good now. And US, or UCF kept building and building and building. And now UCF's moving to the Big 12 and USF's getting left behind. And I think starting about that war on I-4 game in 2017 onward, I think USF fans, if they're being honest with you, started to admit that, oh, hey, something's different about the two of us. And they had to look in at what that was. And a lot of it was facilities and being able to recruit better players because of having an indoor practice facility and not having your summer practices disrupted by thunderstorms. Uh, Jeff Scott got there, and I think he recognized a lot of those problems that 
the administration at USF was very slow to realize were very important and fans were kind of dismissive of its problems. Mm -hmm. uh, now they've got a new indoor practice facility that I believe is nearly finished. And it, the photos I've seen look really nice. Yeah. Uh, they've got on-campus stadium plans in the works. I think 2026 was the year I saw that they were striving for. Uh, this was a phenomenal year fundraising. I think I saw $22 million fundraising raised for the athletics or football team. I can't remember which off the top of my head. You're in that very good location. Uh, eventually, you do have to win games if you're Jeff Scott, and that hasn't happened right. for two seasons. He's got a 3-18 and 18 record in two years as the head coach there. 2-10 uh, and 10 last year with a 1-7 and seven conference record. The wins were against Temple and Florida uh, A&M. And they, I don't think they do themselves any help or any don't benefit themselves with how they do their out-of-conference scheduling because there was this kind of debate at one point about when Danny White was the athletic director at UCF, he had the big only home and homes with Power 5 teams because we're a power team too, yada, yada, respect us. And it led to UCF's schedule being weaker because those Power 5 teams don't take those deals. They just, you know, they just don't. Um, but now it puts you in a position where you're playing a ranked BYU team, Florida and Louisville out of conference this year. And the Florida and Louisville games are on the road. And if you're Jeff Scott trying to get back to bowl eligibility for the first time since 2018, mm -hmm. is it? Are you in USF at this point? I think uh, 2018, yeah. Yeah, that was the year they started 6-0, and then lost seven in a row in the season and got Charlie Strong. No, the next year was when Charlie Strong was fired. Uh, apologies. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, that's not helpful to be playing that type of schedule. You know, it just isn't. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you got to dunk on UCF with a couple of those graphics about how cool your out-of-conference schedule is going to be, but is it good to get your teeth kicked in? And get all right, well, let's, like, not make all of this about UCF, USF okay, debates. We have a lot of other things to talk about with the Bulls, and we have news to talk about with the Bulls regarding their quarterback, so why don't we transition into that? Okay, well, I was just – the program building was interesting. I know, but you weren't getting there. You were, you meandered a long way away. I let you go for a minute. I can't, we got to get back to it. I couldn't let you anyway. keep going. I got to bring you back in. Okay. My point is, You're, I'll give you yep. Was I really? What's the done? point? You've done a lot of good things to set your, yourself up for the future. Now you have to finish the mm -hmm. job. That's all. Yeah. I mean, yes, and that kind of goes without saying. And all I'm saying is I don't think the scheduling helps. Uh, anyways. Well, we'll see. You also have to find a quarterback if you're USF. And I believe yes. they feel confident that they've got one in Jerry Bohan and the Baylor transfer. Yes. I'm the starter this week. And then I believe your news that you were just teasing. That was that was the news, right? Like they Timmy McLean yeah. not named the starter. Immediately hit the transfer portal. Dips out. Yeah. I mean, can't blame him. Uh, I thought I'm upset by it. I wanted Timmy McLean. I get it, but I'm upset. Did you see, and I don't know, God, it was under, I think the post announcing Gary Bohan as the starter that USF posted. Mm -hmm. Timmy McLean's dad replied either to the post or to someone under the post saying that, you know, I think someone that said something like oh, good competition or whatever. And he replied like, you know, Timmy never had a chance to win that competition because there was no competition at all. Something along those lines. I'm Interesting. So I believe the reason he hit the portal so quickly was he felt that 
uh, they brought in a quarterback to be the starter and they gave a competition in name only, but he was already replaced and not given a chance to prove himself. Interesting. That's I mean, too bad. That's what the family, I believe, thinks. Who right. Knows what reality is. I'm not trying to pretend I know. Right. Um, it, that came, you know, a couple hours after all this news broke. Uh, so yeah. People, at that point, people are a little bit bitter and not necessarily thinking things through. But I think that was an interesting thing. Uh, but yeah, but I also think Gary Bohannon probably is the better quarterback right now. He was a key quarterback for Baylor's Big 12 championship run last year. Uh, he's a talented guy. He is. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what the numbers say. So that's what if you watch Baylor last year, what that says too. You know, he, I'm saying as him with USF though. Like okay. if you look at him through the practices he's been in, 80% of his passes completed, 13 points um, higher than anybody else. Um, his decision making was graded at 90%, even though he's new to the offense. So he's checking a lot of boxes. Um, but none of this matters until we see him in a game and, and Baylor is not USF. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're going to come in and I guess like when he went out to a practice, I was reading that he like called the team out on how bad something was, or he like stepped in and like reamed him for whatever. And that's kind of cool in a way where you're like, okay, this guy stepping in and he's being a leader. He's making people listen to him. Okay. You want to command a presence, but you also don't want to like, run people's performance into the ground, especially in a place like South Florida, where there's a little bit of ego, a little bit of swagger going around that city. And I think if you, if you do that too much to guys, they're not going to, you know, want to listen to you. So that's a very bold strategy coming in and he's going to need to pay attention because he's not going to have the same weapons. He had at Baylor. He's not going to have the same line. He's not going to have any of that stuff. The same, not to say that USF doesn't have talented athletes. They do, but it's not the same. Come on. She's not. So no, you're right. The line is fine at USF before being, honest. it's fine. It's, it's not bad, but it's not Baylor. It's not the guys at Baylor. Like those no, dudes not, are huge. It's not a sugar bowl level offensive line, right. obviously. <laughs> Um, right. So it's going to be different. I think you got some talented wide receivers, a guy like Aju Aju, Jimmy Horn, Xavier Weaver. These are talented guys to throw the ball to. Should be able to get open. Um, you know, it sucks. Kelly Joyner just went down with an injury. They're hoping to have him back before conference play starts, but that sucks at running back. You do have some other guys there that can fill in. Uh, Jim yeah. Mano and Brian Batty. These are talented athletic guys, but still sucks to lose Joyner. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of the offense? Because that's supposed to be Jeff Scott's calling card, and it's been kind of a mess, partially because they haven't found a consistent quarterback play, partially because of any number of factors, you know? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be good. I think one of the things, um, one of the reasons that Coach Scott didn't couldn't come on with us, you know, Monday when we were supposed to record is because, and their SID told me, is because they named, you know, the starter on Sunday and he didn't want to do any media <laughs> I get that. after that. I mean, yeah. We didn't know that when we originally said, no, we didn't know he was going to name it. And they, the SID could have told me like, Hey, we're about to name a starter. Like this isn't the best time, but he didn't mention it. And I didn't know. So it just worked out. Um, but he just didn't want to talk about it. You know, he's like, this is the guy, this is what we're doing. And I, and coach Scott is like, he's a little bit of a no nonsense guy in that regard. So mm-hmm. um, I think the offense is going to be, 
decent, you know, I think they're going to be fast and athletic. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not really looking. I, I'm looking at the BYU game. I think USF is going to beat BYU. I can't tell you why no. other than I just have a feeling. I don't okay. Know. That I'm My telling you, I just have this feeling they're going to beat them because they have to go to South Florida on December or I'm sorry, December, September 3rd. So like basically the end of August, which, ugh. Mm-hmm. and I think it's like a 12 kick. I don't know when it is, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going it, to be hot. In the yeah. But do you think if USF beat BYU, that'd be more about BYU or USF? Because I'm not sold think, that BYU is actually a top 25 team this season. Um, agreed. Agreed. You know, they've got, I think they it's both. Utah, I think it's both. Like that, I think they're going to lose all those games this year. They're going to be more like a seven and five team by the end of the year, in my mind. I think but, it depends uh, on how they beat them. Like the kind of game that transpires will definitely, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, are they dominating them in a lot of, you know, snaps and a lot of positions, a lot of matchups, then, then it's going to be OBYU is not as good, but if it's a close game and they're playing pretty even, and then USF manages to, you know, pull off the victory, then I think it's going to be, Oh, USF is better than we thought. And they'd be, you know, I, I think the narrative is going to depend, but either way, I think USF wins that game and that's going to set a tone for them. Like you said, they have a very difficult schedule heading into the meat of it. Right. And yeah. I think a huge win like that in the first game is could be very beneficial for this team that's yeah. trying to grow, you know? And just to double back to the defense a little bit, because I think we kind yeah. of did a little hop, skip, jump over to get to BYU because you're passionate that you have <laughs> that game. I'm so but excited. They do have nine starters returning on defense, but it was an awful defense last season at the same time. Like, yeah, they were yeah. bad. And it was bad. There's no, no. They turned over. But they have a new defensive coordinator. And offense coordinator, which we didn't mention. So we'll see we what didn't mention that. changes. Well, uh, that's because the head coach is like offensive minded. So whenever you have a head coach, I feel like I attribute a lot of, you know, like, yes, there's a new OC, but he's going to adopt some of most of what, you know. I I was in like middle school and was a Notre Dame fan in middle school when Charlie Weiss was the head coach at Notre Dame. So Charlie Weiss Jr. being your OC doesn't seem like a good thing to me. The, the name Charlie Weiss is just something I want nothing to do with as a yeah. college football coach. But it, that's a tainted because of his No, that's fair. That's very fair. It's not, it's not Charlie Weiss Jr.'s fault that his dad was terrible at Notre Dame, but, you know. I do love Travis Trickett, though. He, uh, he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he came from Marshall, um, or no? If it's Marshall, where did he come from? Me. Um, Let me see now, because now I gotta know. There we go. Look it up. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see how the turnover is, like you said, because it is Jeff Scott. You kind of figure it's going to be Jeff Scott's offense, uh, no matter who's calling the plays. Mm-hmm. No, I, mean, I thought he was. I thought he was Marshall, but I guess he. I'm thinking of. Um, I think a different. No. Guy. Yeah, this guy's. Is that the Tulane? Uh, no, not Tulane. There is a new OC from Marshall in the conference. I think. Yeah. There is. There is. <sighs> this is gonna bother me. Anyways, he no no he went to Stanford and then he was at FAU. Um, but he's he's good. He's a good. Um, he was at Georgia State for a couple seasons. Graduated from West Virginia. So he, he's got a pretty good resume. You know, and I will say once 
uh, USF fired their defense coordinator last season after the two-lane game. They only had one more game. It was against UCF. Mm-hmm. Defense looked a lot better in that game, a lot more organized yeah. against UCF than they had all season. And, you know, end of the day, it's a defense full of really talented athletes who were mm-hmm. not playing well as a unit at all. Yeah. Um, I think the linebacker position in particular, you'll get Antonio Greer, who might be the best linebacker in the AAC. Uh, Dwayne Boyles is really good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you need to find something up the middle. You need to find an, players who can go into that secondary and be more than athletes and actually play the positions. Uh, but there's potential for real growth, I think, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Based on, based on the pure athleticism and talent that USF has, but at the same time, you could have said that for years and years in a row now that they've had really talented athletic guys and it doesn't mesh. It doesn't click. I will say this, their special teams is going to be fun to watch. And when I say that, I mean the return game. Mm-hmm. Brian Batty is just, just oh, yeah. He's electric. So that's going to be fun. Probably the best returner in the conference for this season, right? Coming into it, at least we'll see. He might be. I think you, you'd you have to look at um, the guy from SMU who is um, 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 Brian Massey. Yeah. He's he's a good kickoff guy for them. I mean, there's a few, but I think he's yeah. going to be one of the better ones at USF. I agree with that. You want to dive into the schedule? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we already talked. They start the season by hosting BYU. Then they host Howard. Follow that up with trips to Florida and Louisville before returning home for ECU. Then on the road up to Cincinnati before coming home to host Tulane. They take a bye week before road trips to Houston and Temple. They host SMU before a road trip to Tulsa. And then they round out the year with the war on I-4 at home against UCF. Last edition for a few years now, at least. <laughs> Sad. Uh, it is sad. I hope they get are able to get that game played again. I'm sure they will. I'll, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah. Somehow. Well, the thing is, for right now, just out of conference schedules are booked up for a few years. So that's just how it how it goes. Is there's no space on the schedule. Um, anyways, we talked about BYU. Howard, you got to win. It's an FCS game. Then road trips to Florida and Louisville are going to be really tough. You know. Florida's yeah. a team that's... Louisville's a hard place to play. People don't realize that. Louisville's always talented, too. The mm-hmm. roster's always good. They're... Yeah. I don't want to say... I don't want to do apples to apples comparison to USF where a lot of talent, but sometimes it's just not clicking. But they always have a lot of talent, and, well, sometimes it doesn't quite click, you know? They haven't quite figured it out, but they are always a tough team, and playing there is very... The environment in Louisville is incredible. It's mm-hmm. one of the best college football environments I've been to in the sense that their DJ is incredible. The crowd gets very involved. As you could see in the UCF game last year, it was, it was hard. There was a lot of times that they had issues on the snap because it was so loud. It's a good fan base up there. Uh, I look at that out conference and I think, I think one, I think one and three is realistic. I think two and two is possible. I don't think three and one is possible. I don't think that's, I don't just, I think that'd be a, USF optimist saying three and one out of conference, you know, yeah. I'm not going to be that optimist. Uh, That's fine. You hit conference play, you get all three of the big 12 teams who I think most people expect to be the top teams in the conference. You also get SMU who 
depending on who you ask, isn't right there at number four. Mm -hmm. uh, two lanes going through some troubles. Temple, we just talked about, you know, so those are games you probably should be able to win. Then ECU and Tulsa, who I think are both just a couple seasons ahead of you in terms of rebuilding the programs. Yeah. So you're probably behind there. I, I think it's tough to make a bowl game this year if you're USF. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's really tough. Right. Just the way the schedule breaks That's down. That's fair. You know. I, don't know. I think they get that. I think they get the win over ECU at home because I do feel that mm. while ECU is one of my teams, they have to play there and that's, it's tough. And that's a, that was a really mudslinging game last year. Like they, they got after each other. Yeah, um, I'm just surprised to you say that because you're always high on ECU. I know. And I love ECU. I'm in the middle of my, I'm almost done with my whole Nailers, you know, um, Feature yeah, some we're, we're of piece. Come on, God, I know it's tomorrow. It's I'm done. I'm tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's going. Tomorrow it's going in. But um, it should be done then, probably before the podcast is even up. Yeah, but who knows when it'll go up? I still have two other pieces that that's are on it. the back end that haven't that's gone it. up. So. You got like a week and a half before the season. Where are we looking? Yeah, ten days until week zero. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do think they could win that game with ECU at home. Um, obviously, Cincinnati. That's tough. Tulane again at home. I think that that could be a win. I think it's very. Houston. I mean, Tulane kind of kicked your ass last year in a year where Tulane was bad. But yeah. But yeah, but Tulane's going through its own problems. Like yeah, and then you know at Temple, okay, that looks that'll most likely be win. Although that will be interesting, like we said. Temple, <laughs> by that time of year, what's that? That's a November game, right? Yeah, November fifth. Mm -hmm. You get a day where you go up there November fifth, and it's forty degrees and rainy. Yeah, and rainy. Florida teams don't like that. It's going to be hard, Jeff Scott. It's an uphill battle, but I think it'll be this season will be a true testament to what he's bringing to the program. So it, it, I don't want to say make or break I, it like he's in trouble, but I think this I is either where we see that it's I, working or it's I'm not, little, you know? Yeah. I, I'm a little bit more willing to talk about like hot seat than you are, because you're, I think very pragmatic. And I think it's smart of you to be honest, where you don't talk about coaches in terms of, well, getting fired that often because they're, they're human beings. They're people, they're doing their best. Yeah. Uh, but three and 18 through two seasons, if you go three and nine, two and 10 again, you know, he's got one win in three seasons that wasn't against an FCS opponent. And it was against Temple last year who fired their coach and was a disaster. You know, you, mm -hmm. a lot of close games and looks like the team's improving, but if the wins don't start coming at some point, you have to say, our, Jeff Scott, you've done a lot of great things, program building. It looks like you've done a lot of good things for the roster, but where, but you need to win too. Ultimately, that's what the game comes down to. And I'm not, okay. I kind of thought that Rod Carey should get fired going into last season, but it was always yeah. someone who I thought he should have gotten. I don't think he ever should have gotten hired at Temple. Mm -hmm. And I've said that long ago. That's not a hot, that's not me with hindsight being 2020. I said that basically halfway through his first season, that was like, oh, this was clearly a panic hire. Uh, Jeff Scott wasn't a panic hire. He was a smart, thoughtful hire. Yeah. Uh, he came from a really good background at Clemson as the offense coordinator there under Dabo Sweeney. Uh, national championship winning offensive coordinator. Yeah. It, but if he can't, his game management has been bad as a head coach. 
some of that decision making, time management things have been really atrocious. And yeah. I didn't really see those improve much from year one to year two because of, just look at the way the UCF game ended last year. That was awful. I mean, I know USF fans will say that the refs screwed them over, but <laughs> your yeah. clock management was awful there. Uh, it just was. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much longer you can accept two and 10. That's all. I think you need those wins. And I just, and again, like I was saying earlier about the schedule, I don't think you did yourself any favors by scheduling Florida and Louisville this year and BYU. I think you'll do you right. so many more favors to have FIU on the schedule this year, the way UCF plays FAU this year. And I know that the easier schedule might be like, oh, you're taking the easy way out, but it helps. Georgia Tech and the Power Five is doing themselves no favors by playing Georgia every year. They obviously will continue to do that for tradition, but then they add teams like- You know, old-fashioned hate game. I've actually covered that game. It's I know, but then, epic. Like, but then like last year, they also played Notre Dame out of conference, and this year they're playing UCF and Ole Miss, I think, out of conference. Like, don't do that to yourself. You're trying to fix things. <laughs> Give yourself a little pat on the back win over someone. I don't know. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It should be interesting. If nothing else, it'll be fun to watch. Talented, should be better. Need to be better in the win column. That's my assessment. I agree. All right. We did it. We made it through all the teams. Yeah, 11 up, 11 down. Now we've got what I just said, 10 days until week zero and week Mm -hmm. one after that. It's here. Season's yeah, just about it's here. crazy. Yeah, so we're gonna- we were so la- I was talking about the game I was going to cover week one, and originally it was going to be UMass Tulane, just to go to New Orleans. Well, because we were going to be doing the the LSU FSU game, which, which is, is Sunday. Sunday yeah, and that's now kind of up in the air. We're not sure if we're going to be doing that. So I had pivoted, and now we are covering. Da, 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 da. Memphis, Mississippi State in Starkville. Oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. Look. So very excited for the first time in Stark Vegas. Even more excited to see the guy Tim get, Cramsey in person. Yeah, you gotta get your cowbell. You gotta bring your yeah. I know. I'm blue. Memphis blue to try to like not take sides against a cowbell, but it's Memphis. I just can't wait to see the chaos that's going to ensue because you know it's going to get so chippy and everyone's Mississippi State fans are probably going to be so gnarly. I just can't wait. So they were, I'm very excited. Between the Liberty Bowl not allowing cowbells in and mm. just the way mm. that game went down, Mississippi State was so mad about every little detail. Yeah, they really were. So I, I don't, it's tough for Memphis to go in there. I mean, yeah, I don't think they win it, but you know, that's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun game. So definitely follow along because it's probably going to be more interesting than UMass Tulane if we're being honest. I, yes, I think so. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to say before we sign off is we didn't get to talk about this. The Manti Teo doc dropped yes. today or yesterday, one of the days. And there's, or, I have not watched it, so I'm not going to, no spoilers. Like I, I'm waiting for my sister to come into town tomorrow for my birthday this weekend. And we're going to watch it together because we lived, we lived it. Yeah. Like Stanford was a huge part of like, this drama. Yeah. And so we lived through this and I will tell you that I was at the Heisman when this was happening mm-hmm. and I, I'm very upset that 
a lot of people are saying, oh, I didn't know it was like this. I didn't know this affected him. You know, he's coming off sympathetic in this doc. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't be like, I'm not saying we should villainize Manti Teo. But the fact of the matter is the dude had a fake girlfriend for three years that he never met or saw in person. And we're going to sit here and hand this guy an award. Yeah. And then he and then he knew that it, he was being catfished and lied about it at the Heisman. Because that's what the school made him do. I, I'm upset that that's not being addressed, and that everyone's saying, "Well, I didn't know that he was so upset about this. I didn't know that like this weighed on him." Yeah, of course it weighed on him. He literally was made like made a fool by somebody because like, how do you, how does that happen? Well, I, yeah, it was like the very first case of catfishing I'd ever heard of. I was like a sophomore yeah. in high school for that. Uh, not to give everyone my age. No, <laughs> um, it's, it was, but yeah, it was, no, it was I like, was you're the star football player at a huge program. And you're going to tell me that you're dating a girl that you've never met via the internet because you can't yeah. find a girlfriend in Notre Dame. No, there is a big part of me that just wishes he would come out and say, look, yes, I, you know, whatever it was with her, but did he, use the tragedy to his advantage a hundred percent. And I wish his grandmother really did die. And I, think, I know his grandmother died, but he also used that his girlfriend died. Well, yeah, but he legitimately, okay. I'm going to defend him because Manti Teo and that Notre Dame season was important to me as like a teenage boy who was Notre Dame fan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He believed that whether it was weird and kind of stupid of him or not, he it was stupid. Did. I think we we need to call oh, it what okay. it is. It was stupid. Okay. No, it that's was stupid. Fine. We can agree on that. That's okay. For the sake of agreeing, like he's agree. young and he was but, being an idiot. That's fine. We've all been stupid at that age, but still, just call it what it is. It's not like it didn't affect him at the same time. Whether he was being dumb about letting it happen doesn't matter because it did affect him like that. And then. I think the stuff at the Heisman ceremony, it was just tough. It was tough, to be honest. One of the number one tenets of the Heisman is integrity. Well, yeah, but... No, I there's no yeah, but. Well, he he, he lied. Didn't he didn't win the Heisman. Johnny Manziel, Mr. Integrity, won it. Okay. I agreed. Also terrible. Okay. But to go into a ceremony and stand on a platform that two of the most important people in your life died and that's what you were playing these games for when you knew that one of them was fake. But, but he how? didn't know that one of them was fake until way later. It I'm saying the platform for his Heisman campaign. Okay. But okay, but hear me out. He really was playing for her, whether she was real or not, whether he found out that she was never real later and still misrepresented that at the Heisman. You can't misrepresent things like that. You have to be truthful. I don't, Whoever told you that you should lie, like, and that's Notre Dame, that's somebody in there, that's not okay. And I don't think we should be feeling bad and celebrating somebody that did something stupid and then didn't own up to it and instead took the easy way out and hid it to try and win an award. That, to me, doesn't feel like something. I. It really bothers me. I it bothers it, me. It just doesn't bother me the same way. I, That's because you're a Notre Dame fan. You probably don't think, think he could do anything wrong, but he did. I didn't say he can't do anything wrong. I never liked Brian Kelly all that much. <laughs> he did plenty wrong. 
Uh, yeah. Plenty wrong, like the Prince Shimbo incident, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got my, like, I don't think that people who happen to have gone to Notre Dame when I was like a kid rooting for them walk on water. I know that mm-hmm. people are flawed. And I think he was dumb. I don't think he was malicious. No, I don't think he was malicious. I, I, I can agree with time, you. He was a kid. And if someone at Notre Dame said, say Brian Kelly said, hey, it's best you keep this hidden as long as possible to at least get through the season and deal with it later when the spotlight's not on you as much, then maybe it was misguided. I don't think that it was necessarily as dishonest as I think you feel it is. How? Because they knew that this girl didn't really die and they let him go on national television and say that... But when he said, I played for a girlfriend who I lost and my grandmother who I lost this season, those were true things because he did lose. No, that was never his girlfriend because they never met. That was never his girlfriend. Okay, I'm but sorry. Felt, like, okay, then that, that's where you're having a fundamental jumping off point issue. Is that I mean, that's, it's, it's just did, true. This person is not your girlfriend because you were not dating because you never met them. You were never physical with them. You may have cared about someone that didn't exist and that's fine. You could say I played this season for this fictitious person, but let's just be very clear that you're, we're not dating this person. Just, there's no physical way that that's what it was. I'm just, I will uh, literally fight you to the end on this because it's, I think you're just mad about that Notre Dame Stanford game. No, it's not even that. It's that no, like I, all, I've made up my mind. You're just mad. It's not. It's just <laughs> the fact that like now I'm upset that this doc and I haven't watched it, so we'll talk about it after we both watch it. But from everything I've been reading, people are coming out and being like, oh, my God, Manti Teo is so amazing. Yes, he persevered through a lot of stuff, and I'm not knocking him as a human, as a player, like all of those things. But at the basic bottom of this, he was fooled, okay? He was duped, which, like, in in three years or whatever, how long have we been talking to this girl? How do you not figure that out, A, Okay, I know he wasn't the smartest little, person, but like a little naivete. Yeah, and then and then when you do find out that the whole thing is fake, that you have been nationally talking about this girl that died and and getting all of the sympathy for it, when you find out that that's not true, and your first instinct isn't to come clean about it and stop the lie and stop like that machine, instead to lean harder into it. That's just like whether and whether that was advice from whoever, it was bad and it was wrong. And it's part of what is wrong with college football sometimes. Just like you say, Johnny Manziel. Yeah, he was another part of it. The people that were around him that let him behave that way, ridiculous. There's a lot of things like that. But Manti Tail was part of that problem. Which is hard for people to hear. So I guess I remember tackles more than you do. He was a great tackler. He was a fantastic tackler. But you know what else I remember is after every game where he would sit there and wax poetic about, you know, his girlfriend that didn't exist. So I can't, I can't look past that. I can't. At the same time, he really believed she did. I know. And that's almost worse. Like, how stupid are you? If you go that long and you get that deep involved with somebody and you, you don't know that you're being duped like that, that's crazy to me. Oh. Anyway, so we'll, we'll talk about it after we watch it. There's a TV show called Catfished about this. There is. And the, it, it astounds me every day that there are people that get catfished. Enough Somebody literally yesterday inches. tried to scam me for rent. 
my boyfriend and I are going to move in together and we were looking at a place and we found this posting on Facebook and it was fake and we kind of knew it was fake, but we went to the house to go look at it. And, you know, we start messaging the person on Facebook and they're texting me and the texts aren't even like complete sentences or English. So you're like very clearly being scammed. And I knew I'm being scammed, but I just start messing with the guy, like trying to get him pull information out of him and like, get him to admit what he's doing. But I was like, how hard is it to understand that this is not a real thing? Like at what point when this girl's not sending you pictures, she's not like FaceTiming you. She's not like seeing you in person when you're in, you know, California or you're wherever, like these are red flags. Yeah. Don't get catfish, guys. Okay. Well, I think we should actually watch the documentary before we talk uh, talk about it again. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm just going to make me so mad, but I'm going to do it. Well, then. I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. All right. right. That that that's a wrap. I I can't. (laughs) I don't. I don't know what how to respond to this. I know we can't. I'm done. Uh, You can find me at Dan underscore Morrison ninety six on Twitter. You can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And now we need to be off before we start talking about the Joe Pa documentary. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're out. 